hey there, everybody. Jonathan Dorr with you once again. Welcome, friends, to the Catholic Teacher Daily Podcast. Wherever you're listening in this great big world, welcome aboard. If you're a new listener, great to have you with us. Uh, To all my regular friends, great to have you with me today. Last night was the coldest night of the year here in uh, Australia where we live. It uh, Well, this morning when I got up the train, it was minus six. Minus six this morning. Many of you know that I'm uh, my main addiction in life is, uh, if, if at least it's a decent one, is uh, exercise, if I could be so bold as to call it an addiction. Uh, I often say to people, if you're going to have one, it's not a bad one to have. So uh, up this morning for a, a pretty solid training ride, minus six, and uh, the water in the bottle froze, but uh, feeling good, and great to be in the studio with you to share a few thoughts with you on this wonderful privilege, this beautiful vocation of Catholic education. So really what I want to do in the podcast is nothing more than encourage you. I want to give you good information, and uh, but really it's about helping you stay deeply connected to the beauty of this vocation, the fact that God has called you into it, and if he's called you into it, he's going to give you the grace and the capacity and uh, everything you need to do this. I know sometimes you wonder if that's true, but I want to encourage you. So today, let's begin. I was reading something yesterday in the paper. It's It was a review. It was sort of a, a summary from the author author of a new book. The author's called Tanvir Ahmed. The book's called In Defense of Shame, Why We Need Negative Emotions. So uh, really, there's a lot in that, right? Straight away, In Defense of Shame. I mean, marketing that book's going to be challenging. Why? As I've said many times, we're a culture that doesn't know what to do with negative emotions. A lot of this comes from Freud, the idea that, uh, you know, aspects of guilt and shame are deeply embedded in Freudian thinking. And culturally, we've come to believe that aspects of shame and guilt are inherently toxic. And if we experience them, then something's terribly wrong. So we're a very positive culture. We try to be at least. I mean, you look at so much social media, particularly, you know, back when I used to be on Instagram, you know, the old thing of, uh, you know, what is it? Show the best and, you know, was it show the best and fake the rest? It's kind of... You know, we put this idea out there of perfection, that we must be, must be happy all the time, that we must be feel good about ourselves all the time. So what happens when we don't? So listen to this quote from the book. It's very interesting. Uh, Tanvir Ahmed says, When discussing the world of social media, religious leaders have raised the prospect that without the concept of sin, our society lacks the structure to allow for forgiveness. The alternative is ostracism and exile without a route for reunion. I think that's really deep. Listen to it again really quickly, one more time. When discussing the world of social media, religious leaders have raised the prospect that without the concept of sin, our society lacks the structure to allow for forgiveness. The alternative is ostracism and exile without a route for reunion. You know, one of the main reasons I deleted all my social media accounts, it was really tipped by Twitter. I came to believe deeply that Twitter was highly problematic for our culture because, you know, people were, the idea of exchanging opinions and and rational discussion was gone and people that didn't hold the right ideas or that uh, even within certain groups and tribes, if they didn't hold kind of to pure doctrine of some form or another, the, the the response wasn't you know sort of reason debate and discussion. It really was what you know Tanvir Ahmed says here: ostracism and exile. 
So really why I'm sharing with this with you today is because within our Catholic tradition, you know, this whole concept of sin is actually really important. And as Catholic educators, the ability to carefully, intelligently, and reasonably help young people understand the concept of sin and the need for redemption, you know, the need for forgiveness is utterly central to our being human. Because if you take that away, then, you know, how do we not create a kind of culture of sociopaths where people are unable to transgress? There's no sense that I did something wrong. You know, often I've reflected on the idea that, I don't know where I read this many years ago, but when the church begins to abandon the sacraments, they don't disappear. They just go underground. And I've said this on the podcast before, you know, the, the sacrament of penance, the sacrament of confession, reconciliation in our Catholic tradition, as it's been kind of eviscerated as, you know, I mean, if I could be really bold, I rarely hear, you know, often priests or even bishops encouraging any of us to make it an important part of our spiritual life. So as the church has kind of slowly taken confession and sin, it seems, less seriously, that hasn't disappeared. And some commentators have made the point that if you look at a lot of our talk show culture over the last 20 years, often you would get people who would go on to shows like Ellen or Oprah to confess their sins and receive public exoneration public forgiveness. I think, for example, of uh, you know Lance Armstrong. I mean, I'm a cyclist. I remember when Lance Armstrong finally realized that he couldn't keep uh, denying the truth, ends up on Oprah to talk about you know his transgressions and to be to receive a kind of public forgiveness. So I think what this quote's reminding us of is that helping young people understand sin and forgiveness without, you know, crushing them, of course. I mean, let's be sensible about this. But I think that we do something even more dangerous if we refuse to talk about it at all. I mean, I think this is part of the real courage necessary in Catholic education at the moment, the real courage necessary to lovingly and pastorally help young people understand the structure of reality. I mean, that's an important term, the structure of reality. Sin is a thing. You know, in, in the classic translation, sin is to miss the mark. Well, how can we miss the mark if there isn't a mark to hit? And how would we know what that mark is? Well, it's the person of Christ, and it's the gospel, and it's the tradition and, of, and the teaching of the church. So none of us are going to hit that perfectly. So we find ourselves in this need for forgiveness. So all I want to say to you today, if you're teaching religious studies, if you're, and, and even if you're not, you'll find things happening in the schoolyard. You'll find people saying things or doing things, and it's a pastoral opportunity to help young people reflect upon how they can wound each other, how they can say and do things that diminish community, diminish human dignity, and a chance to speak into that. So, look, there's a lot in that, but I think it's a really good quote. And I think that we need to pray for the courage. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're going, well, we can't stand up there and speak about sin. Well, if you don't, who will? I mean, we, we, we do it sensibly. We pray for the grace to do it with love and pastoral sensitivity. But if we're not talking about it, then hundreds of thousands, millions of Catholic students leave schools all over the world you know, each year with very little formation in these core aspects of being human. All right, let's move on. Uh, if you're listening yesterday, you would know that I'm doing a bit of a series on a great new book 
by Dr. Ryan Topping. It's called The Case for Catholic Education. So I'm working through this slowly. I want to share with you uh, some of the key insights from this. Uh, Dr. Topping's a, a serious Catholic theologian, intellectual, and I think he's got a fair bit to offer us. So I want to open with a quote from the book today, The Case for Catholic Education. It's from chapter one. He says, The crisis of Catholic education, which the next generation of students and teachers must overcome, is a crisis born chiefly of our lack of confidence in the truth. That the crisis of Catholic education, one more time, which the next generation of students and teachers must overcome, is a crisis born chiefly of our lack of confidence in the truth. Like everything, I guess we explore here on the podcast. There's there's depths to this. There's a lot of richness to this. But I think he's pointing to something important that part of the challenge for Catholic education is that as educators, we may have in a highly complex technological world that's been rapidly secularized, we may begin to second guess the truth of our faith, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the person of Jesus Christ and what that offers the world. So we become a little bit unsure. And when we do that, I think that we just we just double down on what we do know is okay, which is what? Vocational training, which is teaching to tests or teaching content and trying to improve education and trying to prove test results. But we begin to doubt our ability to have a much bigger vision of education. And a real confidence in the person of Jesus to, to, to sustain us and carry us through this educational project. Now, uh, what I wanted to do is, as I was reflecting on this, this idea of Catholic educators having confidence in the truth. It reminded me of a quote, which uh, we're going to obliterate in just a moment, that's attributed, of course, to St. Augustine, which is that the truth needs no defending. Um, this quote attribution to, uh, to St. Augustine is that the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. You just let it out and it will defend itself. Now, I've recently discovered that uh, the only problem with that, of course, is that it's totally wrong. And Augustine actually never said it. How do I know? Because I came across some uh, a great book by Trent Horn. I'll put a link uh, in the show notes here today on the, on the website. Uh, the book's called What the Saints Never Said. I really like it. What the Saints Never Said. So reading through that, Trent's made it clear that Augustine literally never said it. And uh, Trent Horn's actually an apologist. So he's also saying, hang on, the truth does need to be defended. He gives a really good example. He said that, you know, sometimes you know, people who go to court and, uh, you know, plead the Fifth Amendment, you know, they don't want to incriminate themselves. People are like, well, they should speak up. They, If they've got nothing to hide, there's nothing to be afraid of. They don't need to defend themselves if they're telling the truth. And the fact is that a prosecuting attorney can make you look completely guilty, even if you're innocent. So we do need to defend the truth. We actually do. We actually need to be able to give, you know, like uh, like Scripture says, you know, the uh, we need to give an account of our confidence. We need to be able to share with these precious young people the truths that we believe. There is, of course, um, way back in 1896, the uh, brilliant Protestant uh, preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, you know, had this great line where he said, uh, he was preaching and he says, see you that lion. They, this is talking about the truth of the gospel. They have caged him for his preservation, shut him up behind iron bars to secure him from his foes. See how a band of armed men have gathered together to protect the lion. What a clatter they make with their swords and spears. 
These mighty men are intent upon defending a lion? O fools and slow of heart, open that door. Let the lord of the jungle come forth free. Who will dare to encounter him? What does he want with your guardian care? Let the pure gospel go forth in all its lion-like majesty, and it will soon clear its own way and ease itself of adversaries. A couple of points. First, I would have loved to have heard Spurgeon preach. He's just a giant. But he's making a similar point to this, uh, you know, this quote that was attributed to Augustine, which is that we don't need to defend the truth, that it'll do it itself. No, in a highly technological, secular culture where young people are massively inundated with YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TV, friendship groups, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever, like we are going to need to explain to them the depths of the faith. Now, this, I think, is a huge burden for Catholic teachers. None of us, you know, most of us didn't go through teaching college or university or, you know, planning to sign up for this. But I just have this feeling that I think this is where God has positioned us. This is where God has positioned us, and this is what he's asking of us. So I think for me, there's two parts to this. One is that we need to take seriously learning about the faith. And, you know, there's great websites like Catholic Answers that can help with that. But we also not just need to communicate the truth of the faith, but this is going to sound pretty intense, but I think we need to reflect and pray on the need to live the truth. That we can't teach our young people key aspects of the faith if we don't actually believe it and live it. Now, none of us are going to do it perfectly. You know, this is the need for forgiveness and for sacraments. But we need to be as best we can people of truth. We need to, you know, align our lives, our relationships with the truth of the gospel. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, I'm just, you know, writing today. I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but... Um, you know, this car comes right up behind us in, in, the, in the training ride, and and it wasn't, and they weren't particularly friendly. And I may or may not have, I guess, communicated strongly to them that I didn't appreciate what they were doing. And as I'm riding, I'm thinking, man, that's a bad witness. Like, you know, how can I get up and and talk on the podcast and stuff? And well, you know, if I'm doing that, well, the answer is because I'm a sinner. And because I get it wrong and because I need to do better and I need grace for that and sacraments. So I'm just saying that we don't have to be perfect. We just have to be aware and we have to be trying with the help of the sacraments and the help of grace to get better. All right, let's move on. So there's a lot there, huh? You're getting your money's worth today. The podcast is free, Jonathan. I know, but I want to give them good stuff. So all right, last thing I want to do is just take you back into Ryan Topping's book here. So in these opening sections, he's helping us understand kind of where this crisis of Catholic education globally is, is coming from. So one of the first things he points to is the philosopher Immanuel Kant. Now, some of you would have heard of Immanuel Kant, one of the great continental philosophers and, uh, you know, Kant gave us the idea that well, he sort of reduced our dependence on metaphysics. Now, stay with me. I want you to hear this stuff because this will get you thinking as a Catholic teacher about the classrooms that you walk into. So I'd go back a little bit before Kant. If you look at, um, you know, the, the famous, I think, therefore I am, cogito ergo sum, you know, the idea that um, 
that reality is grounded in our perception of it or that the mind is the center of reality and we construct it. So many of you would have heard of that famous line, I think, therefore I am. Before that, cosmology, at least in the in the Western world, was, was bigger than that. It was expansive. People had a, a huge sense of the order of the cosmos and God pr- present in that, which leads us into metaphysics, which is kind of technically what's referred to as abstract general reasoning. But metaphysics would include things like truth, beauty, goodness, the ultimate purpose of life. So Kant basically said, look, we can't know these things. He ended up with this idea called deontology, which was the science of duty. He'd say, look, we really can't figure out any of these great truths of reality about truth, beauty, and goodness, and and how we should live. But what's important is that we do our duty. We should all live a particular way because that'll stop us killing each other and it'll keep our societies relatively straightforward. Look, this just led to this vast idea that um, we can't know the truth of reality, that we can't, you know, get a sense of our own nature or experience something outside ourselves that can inform how we live. Now, topping points to a great speech by Benedict, Pope Benedict Sixteen, uh, who referred to living this way as being likened to living in a concrete bunker with no windows. So Pope Benedict said, once you remove truth, beauty, goodness, the cosmos, the universe, spirituality, the presence of Christ, you end up, or the human person ends up in this sort of highly structured concrete bunker with no windows out into reality. Now, I'll read you a quick quote here from Topping and then we'll finish up. Uh, Dr. Topping says, it suffocates because it crushes the moral imagination. It stifles because it arbitrarily narrows the range within which the modern person is willing to think about thinking. Thus, instead of openness to wonder, openness to beauty, to truth, goodness, angels, eternity, the music of the spheres, the soul, and the like, and the like, the scope of reason is reduced to aims dictated largely by the economy and the imperatives of technological innovation to computer chips and airplanes. So I'll put a reference to his book there, The Case for Catholic Education. I want you to get a copy and just make a part of your prayer. Just read through a couple of paragraphs each day. But what's he saying there? He's going that once we lose that divine perspective, once we lose this capacity for truth, beauty, and goodness, and the expansiveness of the reality of how God has created us, we shrink into this technological structuralist kind of culture. How does that relate to you as a Catholic teacher? Because isn't it true that so much of our education has just become, I guess what Topping says, banal? It's about literally hyper-specialization and getting students the best possible marks so they can get in the best possible college. It's what I call the factory model of education. So what we need to start thinking about is, am I saying this stuff's unimportant? No, we want to be able to help young people have the the, the tools and the skills they need to operate effectively in the world and to be able to provide for themselves and their future families and to bring productivity growth to the world and all sorts of good stuff. I mean, productivity growth is really important. It drives a lot of stability in cultures over time. So these things aren't bad. They become a problem when we reduce the fullness of the human person down to these elements. So my prayer for you is that you'll begin to reflect in your heart upon the beauty, the expansiveness of what Catholic education can begin to help young people understand about reality. 
about a much bigger picture. So our schools should be these dynamic, joyful places where we say, hey, we want you to get a good job. We want you to be employable, but we want you to be so much more than that. We want you to be, we want you to understand what happiness really means, what virtue means, what, what healthy, beautiful relationships can be. We want you to understand the power of the sacraments and the fact that God loves you. I mean, I was, I did a retreat, an eight day Ignatian retreat recently, and the meditation I did on the Annunciation. So it was really helpful for me because I was doing this meditation. And I suddenly went, you know what? God went to a lot of trouble. God went to a lot of trouble. It was amazing that God sort of basically did this. So friends, let's begin to share that much bigger vision with young people. All right, let's finish up. I'm done. Friends, uh, everything's on the website, onecatholicteacher.com. Please make sure you've subscribed. Check out the resources pages there. Please share this message with other Catholic teachers. We'll go deeper tomorrow. Thanks for your patience. It's been a rich episode today, but we're going to talk again tomorrow. My name is Jonathan Doyle. This has been the Catholic Teacher Daily Podcast. God bless you for your yes to this vocation, and God is not finished with you yet. The best is ahead. It is not behind, and I'll speak with you again tomorrow.